Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. An era, a college football epic, is coming to a close. Nick Saban has officially announced his retirement from coaching after arguably one of the greatest careers in college football. Hey, everybody, this is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Bob Akairi, and I'm joined by Shahanji Araja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and you can give us your feedback. We're a podcast. We always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your shows. We were planning to dive a little bit more into the national title victory for Michigan and its ramifications, but we as well as pretty much all of you were surprised by the breaking news yesterday afternoon that Nick Saban, the terror of Toledo, the monarch of Michigan State, the lion of LSU, the Ayatollah of Alabama has announced his retirement from the sport that he has dominated for well over a decade. Seven national championships, eight at Alabama, one at LSU, 11 SEC titles, nine at Alabama, two at LSU, a 292 win 71 losses, one tie because he's coached long enough to have a tie. Every season at Alabama was a bowl season. He's already in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame in 2013. We're all just, it's inevitable he's going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. On top of all the numerous coaching awards, he's had four Heisman winners. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Devontae Smith, Bryce Young. There's so much you can say about Nick Saban, and and that era is closing. Sean, what are your initial thoughts on this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. You mentioned the Ayatollah of Alabama. I did remember that uh, that former Iranian president Mahmoud Ahmadinejad did reply to a tweet uh, back in 2018 saying that Michigan would rise <laughs> yes. again. So I'm very curious to hear his take on uh, on who Alabama should hire. Maybe we'll have to go tweet at him. Get him <laughs> like, as a guest. <laughs> I know a little bit of Farsi. I could throw some at him, see how that goes. <laughs> hey, no, that's true. That's that would true. be really bad. That's true. It would be like listening to an adult sounds like a toddler <laughs> speaking a language. But yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know if uh, if having uh, an Iranian host on the show is a good thing or a bad thing in terms of booking. Might be an awkward one. Yeah, that might be an awkward sell for a lot of reasons. Yeah, no, no. So it's funny. In our work Slack group, the the joke is, okay, I'm logging off for the night. Uh, Hit me up if something crazy happens, like (laughs) Nick Saban retires. And it was like 4.53, and I'm supposed to get off at 5. And then the news comes down. And uh, Chris Lowe, who, you know, people kind of know at ESPN, does a great job, but uh, very intertwined with Jimmy Sexton, uh, the the super agent who basically runs the SEC. Uh, Chris Lowe gets the scoop of a lifetime that Nick Saban is going to retire. And then we got confirmation and, you know, it was real. It took a little while for Alabama to actually put together the press release. From what it sounds like, people in the building didn't know that this was going to happen until yesterday afternoon. Uh, according to Matt Zenitz, over, uh, my colleague over at 247, apparently Nick Saban was interviewing a wide receiving coach candidate at 3.55 p.m. And then at 4 p.m., he goes into the meeting and tells the team he's retiring. So this was a shock. Uh, apparently assistants didn't even all know about it whenever it happened. Uh <laughs> but but this is perfect. I, I mean, Nick Saban feels like that kind of coach, right? The one who just decides it's time, I'm moving on. I think back to uh, one of my first years covering college football full-time back in 2017, before my first year actually covering the Big 12 as a conference, Bob Stoops kind of pulls the same thing. And the difference, of course, is I don't necessarily think that there is a Lincoln Riley on staff ready to be promoted, but... I do think this is the right way to go out. Uh, The interesting factor now is going to be what happens in terms of the transfer portal, uh, uh, what happens in terms of recruiting, all that sort of stuff. We saw a top 10 player in the country, Ryan Williams, decommit after Nick Saban uh, decided to leave last night. But I I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead and start to look ahead too much because, like you said, this is one of the greatest careers in the history of the sports. Um, You said arguably one of the greatest careers ever. 
we can take that arguably out, man. Like it is, it is at worst number two, and it is probably number one. It's him and Bear. There's nobody else that even really comes close. Seven national championships, like you said, six at Alabama. Uh, the, the the success that he's had has never been replicated. Every player who he recruited at Alabama, who completed a four-year career at Alabama, won a national championship. And the vast majority of them won two. It is just crazy stuff what ended up happening after Nick Saban took over this program. I think back, and look, I'll, I'll admit, 2007, a little before I was deep in the weeds of college football, but I mean, you can't imagine that a hire could go this well. He was already a national championship winning coach. He had success at the collegiate level when he was hired at Alabama. But that's no guarantee. Jimbo Fisher didn't do this once he went to another school. You know, I mean, it's it's just crazy stuff what he was able to put together. And now I think that not only is it fascinating to see who wants to follow the legend, it's also fascinating to see in this market at this time with this job with the expectations that come with it how is the alabama job viewed because we are in a situation now where you have usc stealing oklahoma's coach you have lsu stealing notre dame's coach you also have texas hiring a coordinator right you have o- ohio state which i still believe to be the number one job in all of college football promoting a coordinator right so i'm fascinated to see what happens But to say that this was an earth-shattering development is the understatement of a lifetime. There have been rumblings all year long, but the fact that it actually happened is still completely unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I think the only (laughs) – sometimes you almost think of coaches that are almost legends that could compare. Like people like Fielding, Yost, which were busy kind of sort of inventing the game as they were going along. You know, you almost have to go to that era. But in terms of the modern era of college football, certainly – the pole era, certainly post World War II, he, I, I agree. He's got to be, he's got to be the lead leader in the clubhouse right now. He has supplanted legends, and I am of the uh, vintage where I remember when he left Michigan State to go to LSU, and then suddenly seeing LSU, which had been kind of floundering around, become very competent very quick. I remember the rather short time at the Dolphins. I remember when he said, I'm not going to Alabama when he was with the Dolphins and then suddenly appearing um, at Alabama. I do remember that. Um, I remember the kind of quirky first season he had everyone. I think, I think that's the, the, the one joke people are saying, you know, he still never beat ULM. Um, (laughs) But uh, you know, I remember that awkward first season when he got to Alabama. I remember um, the dominance that started to grow there and you wondered, okay, not bad. But then you, no one anticipated that it was going to keep building the way it did, that it was going to keep this, this, the tide was going to keep rolling and that he was going to be able to evolve with the game, that he was going to recognize that that initial style of play that he was putting on the field was kind of changing. So he was willing to bring in Lane Kiffin. He was willing to, to, to change up how that offense worked and adapt to the game. I always like to reflect on every time we've had a major change to the rules in the past several years, like the idea of the portal and then the NIL every time he would be kind of like, well, I'm not, he, I'm not thrilled about it, but if you guys, <laughs> or he'd give a warning. It's like, if you change the rules, just know that we're, don't be surprised how well some of the rest of us do. And then he would go and, and kick all kinds of butt at it. And I think that was kind of a, well, we can get to this a little later, but that's been kind of an interesting contrast with Dabo Swinney, who at one point seemed like an heir apparent and now not so much. And we can get into that in a little bit. I mean, Greg Byrne, I wonder how much uh, the AD of Alabama, I wonder how much he was given knowledge in advance. I wonder if it was something very private between them. Um, the statement he did bring out was like, you know, they're going to be thorough, expedient. Their ideal candidate will be strong in recruiting and relationship building, player development, X's and O's. And the overall ability to lead the historic program, pretty standard stuff. One thing I do want to mention, um, uh, through my own site, we had a reporter at the Rose Bowl. And he, he t- gave me a comment that made me think. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe he's just getting. The question was, he said, like, I was at Media Day before the Rose Bowl. And Nick Saban was weirdly friendly to everybody. He was like, hey, he was being nice and just kind of like, hey, isn't it wonderful we're at the Rose Bowl kind of an attitude to it all. And he was like, this seemed strange. And I said, well, maybe he's just reached 72. 
you know, Miss Terry has kind of made him warm up a little bit. They went to Rome last summer. Maybe they're like, they're, they're, he's learning to like let go and enjoy life a little bit more. He's like, I wonder if this is like, he knows he's leaving soon. Um, and he even had that same comment uh, on the sideline. I believe with your comment, he's, he, 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 on the sideline of the overtime victory, he was talking with, um, he was talking with Dennis Dodd. He said, like, I wonder if this is actually his last game. Um, and when this all dropped yesterday, he immediately sent me a private message. He's like, holy cow, here it is. It seems to be actually <laughs> happening. So I wonder if that was part of it. Because, again, some people were also going back to that SEC uh, championship game media conference where he was also kind of like it sounded like he was almost waxing poetic about maybe I've been here a little bit too long. You always admire a coach who can do that. It's hard because, you know, he came so close. I mean, you look at that Michigan game and overtime loss. I don't think anyone doubts that if, if Alabama had won, they would have probably had a similar result with Washington. I, I think it would have been safe to say for various reasons. I think it would have been a similar result against Washington had Alabama been in the championship game. But imagine that thought, like some coaches get tempted to say, you know, I'd love to go out on a championship. Maybe I'll one more year. One more year. And then perhaps you find yourself in a position of late career Bobby Bowden. I think he kind of started a sort of not quite deliver, and then they kind of had to ease him out. So he's seen that before. Um, I'm not going to say Dabo Swinney's in that path, but the last three seasons for Dabo have not been the greatest compared to where that just incredible run he had where he beat Alabama a couple of times in the championship game. I think we look at that and we see someone, and also I just love the timing of this. Imagine if the rumor had come out on the same day as a championship. Can you imagine how that would have completely messed up the broadcast? They would have been having to kind of address Nick Saban while they're doing a national championship game. Everyone would have been furious because the press would have had to talk about it. And, you know, but at the same time, the national champs of Washington and, and Michigan fans would be furious. People would say like, Oh, look, everyone wants to keep talking about the sec, but it's like, it's Nick Saban. We, everyone has to talk about it. It's like, you know, legend suddenly retiring. There's just so much of that going on that I'm, I'm utterly fascinated. I mean, we were talking, we're going to go back and talk about the national championship in a, in a, again, but we were kind of talking about before. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like suddenly the entire national championship game just got like, oh, well, we're going to set this aside for a second. Now here's the real story. Um, the, the retirement of a legend. And it, it's utterly fascinating. That speaks to the level of, of influence he had, you know, just before I forget, I was looking at the coaching tree that he had and nearly 10% of current FBS coaches, head coaches are part of his coaching tree. 12 current FBS coaches have been in the Nick Saban coaching tree. That is a stunning number um, to not say about, you know, there's at least a, a, almost a dozen coaches, former head coaches who were also in his coaching tree at the FBS level. It's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, what can, what more can you say? I mean, it, it, there's so much you could say about his influence in the sport, but just that coaching tree. I mean, just I'm going to really quickly run down for the heck of it. Kirby Smart, obviously, Dan Lanning, Steve Sarkeesian, Mike Loxley at Maryland, Jim uh, uh, McGellan at uh, um, Central Michigan, Charles Huff at Marshall, Butch Jones at Arkansas State, Brent Key at Georgia Tech, Mario Cristobal at Miami, and I always forgot about that. FIU gave him such a raw deal. I mean, that was one of the worst firings in history. I'm going to, uh, that's for another show. Billy Napier at Florida, Lance Taylor at Western Michigan, and Kurt Zanetti at, at Indiana. All of them have coached under Nick Saban. I mean, it's just, it's, it's stunning, stunning to me. Yeah, it, it's truly unbelievable. I look at Alabama over a stretch from 2008 to 2022, every single year, Alabama reached number one in the AP Top 25 at some point during the season. This was actually, 2023 was the first time since 2007 that an Alabama team did not reach number one. Now, of course, that's defined by the fact that they lost to Texas in week two, right? So they never had the ability to move their way up. But like you said, I mean, if that Michigan game, just if they make one more stop, uh, if if a ball isn't tipped and doesn't fall into Colson, oh no, it was Roman Wilson's hand. Sorry, like they might have reached number one again. They might have won a national championship. So we are a playoff show, and so I do want to take us back to that a little bit. So Nick Saban takes over Alabama in 2007, from 2007 to 2013, a period of seven seasons. He wins three national championships over the last ten years. Uh, of the college football playoff, right? This was the 10th year of the playoff this past year. 
he also won three national championships. So I think it's very impressive that he was able to have that life both before and after. The other piece that I'll mention is that when you look at the playoff, uh, one of his championships would not have happened if not for the college football playoff. And that's 2017. They would not have made a two-team BCS. They were number four in the final CFP rankings. They were not conference champions that year. I'm sure that Kirby Smart really wishes that the BCS existed at that time so that they didn't make the field. But the other part is that the four-team playoff stole him of a potential championship in 2014 when Ohio State comes in and they upset Alabama in the first round. And I think that Alabama would have had a great chance to upset, uh, not even upset, to, to beat Oregon in a potential BCS National Championship game. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think that ultimately, because some people are going to say, well, I look at this team and I look at Saban, and I'm like, well, he just had all these, he had extra opportunities, he had more leeway because of the college football playoff. It actually kind of didn't end up happening that way because of just the reality of their seasons. So when, when you look at the college football playoff era, I mean, how how much has this group, how much has this format, how much has this organization been defined by Nick Saban? I mean, let's think, I was just thinking about that. I mean, how many, did he, didn't he, I guess, including the times where they didn't make it all the way to the championship and win it, they were in eight of the 10, weren't they? Yeah. Was, Am I wrong in that number? 14, I think the only 15, years they missed. 16, 17, 18. They did not make it in 19 because uh, that was the yeah. Joe Burrow year. 20 and last year uh at 21 and 23 yeah so he only missed two of the two how wild is that i mean that is that that's really all you need to know um now entering the 12 team playoff i think even on those years he would have made it in that's the thing i mean it's like he would have been made it all 10 years if we had a 12 team playoff so that's the level that he got Alabama to. It's not like the two years that the, the that the tie didn't make the playoff, they stunk or anything like that. They finished number eight and number five in those respective years. So it just it speaks to the level of talent, the level of consistency. I mean, much has been written about Nick Saban and the program he runs. And um, the most fascinating takeaway I've always found is just his his single-minded devotion to recruiting and understanding how that can make a team a powerhouse. Um, certainly that's something that rubbed off on his disciple Kirby Smart to, to make Georgia into what it is. Um, but but seeing what he did, I, I, I loved reading about how back when he was uh, an assistant at Ohio State, another one of his fellow coaches said, like when he lost the recruiting battle, he actually got teary-eyed over it. I mean, which tells you just the passion. And when he got to Alabama, he famously said, everything we do here is going to be about recruiting. Like everything is going to be about impressing recruits and making them want to come here. And again, we're talking about like you know, those of us who are a little older. And remember, I heard Alabama before he got there was just a miserable uh, shell of what it had been. Um, it had been years since they'd had a, a, a very strong program. They had the entire Mike Price debacle. That was, whew, um, that was, I, I remember that one. That's also why I kind of wonder about Kalen DeBoer being a candidate. Like, do they want to even look at Washington again? Hey, look, this is great. <laughs> I, this is great coach with no, with no ties to our program from the Pacific Northwest. I, I think what those two humans are pretty different. I think that those are okay. two different humans. <laughs> 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 you know, so, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see again. And I think that's the important thing I want people to realize. It's not like Alabama. He was a plug and play in a system that was already there. Ohio state has always had kind of the system there for the person to take over. Even when they weren't great, there was still a certain level of, of things that had been built up there. Um, Alabama had, had, fallen behind in some ways and kind of not modernized with the times. And again, reiterating what I said before, Nick Saban, what makes him so remarkable to me, remarkable to me is even at 72 years of age, he was continually willing to innovate and trust the people he hires. You know, when earlier just this season, Alabama looked like they were kind of a little lost. Everyone after the Texas game was kind of struck. We watched that USF game. You know, you wondered, like, was was hiring Tommy Reese the right idea? And, you know, they were able to adjust. They were able to make it work. And suddenly Jalen Milrow looks like a dark horse Heisman candidate for the second half of the season. 
because they were willing to adapt, because they were willing to use what they had on the field. And that that in and of itself just tells you what made him such a success and and why he was able to, to maintain this level of success in the college football playoff era. It's um I, I just it'll be curious to see. And I and you know, kind of this this does lend a little bit to kind of the the, the other big question here is the kind of person that it would take to replace him and who would be willing to replace him? Because the the only I think college sports, I mean, there's several candidates, but the one I always go to is this is like replacing John Wooden at UCLA, a guy who just went through with a level of domination that is arguably equal or maybe even a little more in the sport that he was in at that time. Because I believe he won like 11 national titles in 13 years or something like that. Um, who wants to be the person that follows Nick Saban? I'm not sure. And that's something we should discuss a little bit more here on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So now the big question is going to be, who replaces the legend? There's so much going on with this. I mean, as I said, as we've all said, it's a tough, it's a big shadow. And Alabama, there's questions, as Sean has brought up, if it's even the best job in college football right now. There's some common names out there. We can go over them. But, Shahan, who, what names are the ones that strike you the most right now as potential candidates? Well, I do want to take one step back quickly and just talk about this job. Because Alabama is one of the most unique jobs in college football. The two greatest coaches, at least in the modern era of college football, both coached at Alabama. You have a chance to win, unlike anybody has ever had a chance to win in the history of the sport at the University of Alabama. But we also have to remember, for 20 years, it was a mess. It was a joke. Uh, you know, only one modern national championship has been won in the AP era that wasn't by Bear Bryant or Nick Saban. And that was by Gene Stallings in 1992. So the highs are so high, the lows are pretty low, and the expectations for you are going to be off the charts. And so... I do want to say this. I don't feel like the idea of coaches being scared of following Saban or, or something like that. I, I don't think that's necessarily realistic. I, I don't think that that's part of the uh, the calculus for coaches. I think it might be a little for agents and advisors who are trying to tell them what to do. I think that coaches embrace this opportunity. Something that you have to look at as well is that Alabama 2024 is good enough to win a national championships. 100% if they are able to keep this roster together. And so I do look at this job, and and I'm curious, because I think you even look at the other elite jobs in college football. There's kind of been two minds about this kind of thing. We've seen USC go out and hire Lincoln Riley, go out and poach Oklahoma's sitting head coach. We've seen LSU poach Notre Dame's sitting head coach. Uh, but, I mean... Clemson built a championship team using a former interim wide receivers coach, right? I mean, Georgia found a coordinator that they loved. Uh, even look right now at the college football playoff. Washington hired a Fresno State coach uh, who had success at the NAIA level. Uh, Michigan, of course, you know, a little bit of a unique situation there with a, uh, somebody who played quarterback there who coached in the NFL. But I think you could say NFL, right? Experience is, is kind of where they pulled from. Uh, and then, you you know, Steve Sarkeesian, a coordinator as well, who had some head coaching experience before that, but not necessarily good head coaching experience. Uh, and then Alabama, who hired an NFL coach with a long history in college football. So all that to say is I would not be surprised to see the tide go off board with this hire. Some of the early names that have come up, and you mentioned it, Nick Saban has one of the great coaching trees in the history of college football, if not the greatest coaching tree in the history of college football. Though, shout out to Hayden Fry, who has a shocking, like an amazing, yeah. amazing coaching tree. Um, and Frank Broyles would be another name to mention, like amazing coaching trees. But Saban, I think, ranks at number one. Uh, so looking across that coaching tree, Steve Sarkeesian, I'd imagine, will get a call at Texas. I don't know if that's something that makes sense to leave one of these Tiffany programs to go to another one. I, I think that he's very happy where he is. And uh, he has a lot of support at Texas. So I, I don't necessarily think he'll move. You know, the, the name Lane Kiffin is going to come up a lot. I don't think that's a realistic possibility. He hasn't necessarily won big uh, at any of his stops. And people will say, well, it's only Ole Miss. Well, either at 
USC or Tennessee or with the Raiders either. He hasn't necessarily won big. His only conference championship as a head coach came at FAU in Conference USA. So, you know, I I, I don't know. And, and then you have all the antics and stuff. I don't know if that's something that Alabama wants to deal with right now. Um, I think that you look across the rest of the board, right? Like, do you start looking at like a Mike Norvell uh, at Florida State who in three years has turned Florida State into a national contender, into a team that should have been in the college football playoff? Maybe you do. Do you look at uh, somebody like Kalen DeBoer, somebody who is very much off the beaten path, off the radar, but has developed every team that he's coached into a winner? Like you said, uh, you know, the last time that Alabama hired a coach from off board, it didn't go amazing. But I don't think that Kalen DeBoer is the same as some of the other coaches who have had <laughs> off-field issues at uh, the University of Alabama. Um, could they look NFL, right? Mike Vrabel's available. I do think he's going to be an NFL head coach in five seconds if he wants to. So probably not, but... I don't know. And then you do have to consider like the the group of five, the up and comer type level. Glenn Schumann at Georgia is their defensive coordinator. People view him as kind of mm-hmm. like Kirby Smart's Kirby Smart <laughs> in some ways. Uh, a lot of people I know at Texas A&M were very interested in him. He would be a risk. He is very young. He's like 32 years old. But, you know, it's, it's a swing that I think that could be worth contemplating. Uh, you know, John Sumrall, at, uh, who just moved from Troy to Tulane. That's a future star SEC coach. Is it the kind who ends up at Alabama? I don't necessarily know the answer, but it's one that I think they'd be smart to consider. So, so many good options, so much interesting stuff. Uh, And again, this feels like Greg Byrne, Alabama's athletic director, going off board. And, you know, whether it's going NFL, whether it's going maybe a coach who isn't deeply tied to the South, but does a lot of things well and he feels like you can project some of this recruiting ability. I I think that's very much a possibility, but man, this is, this is one of the most fascinating opens uh, openings in college football. And it both should get a lot of interest and also come with a lot of complications. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to kind of almost think about some of these potential candidates. I know. And I was shocked. I, had a conversation with some Alabama fans on a Twitter space right after this news broke. The one thing that struck me is how Tide fans definitely are not fans of Dabo Swinney. <laughs> and I forgot to mention him. He, he is one that needs to be mentioned. I, I have to mention him because I think three seasons ago, he would have been a shoe-in. And then each season where, again, Clemson hasn't done terrible, but it, it certainly hasn't been as good of a run combined with because it's fun to contrast the two, you know, Nick Saban says, you know, I'm not necessarily thrilled about these rule changes, but, you know, we'll play the game. And then they win at the game. Um, while Tabo Swinney says, I don't know if I necessarily want to do this and then di- didn't seem to do it at all, like taking advantage of the portal to potentially the detriment of the team and and not necessarily realizing the, the, the winds of change. Um, that there is expectations that you shouldn't have to take all that time to develop these guys. You should be able to have like bandages in between seasons to have guys to, to, to step up. Um, because I remember I, they were all chanting like no to Dabo at one point on, on our Twitter space. And then I saw a clip on Twitter of, of fans in like by the, the Saban statue, which by the way, had little Debbie cakes put on the, like he died or something, but they had little Debbie cakes put at the base of the statue. They were chanting the same thing. Um, so this is something that, I mean, I kind of, I'm not shocked that he isn't as popular of a candidate. What surprised me is how unified they are and how it's almost turned into a mantra for the uh, the Alabama faithful. So I think he's pretty much out of contention unless they are going to have just some potentially passionate happenings uh, on campus were they to go that way. You know, the only concern, and I want to go back to Kalen DeBoer just for a second. The one concern I have for him is the lack of any connection to the SEC because we know his path. He his path. He stayed. Obviously, he's a Dakota guy. Coached in uh, Sioux Falls. Did well there at NAIA. Then you know uh, Southern Illinois, some Northern teams, and FCS. Works his way <clears throat> to be at Fresno State as a coordinator. Then Indiana as a coordinator. Then Fresno State head coach. You know, and then obviously at Washington, the lack of connection to the South is something that I know. I mean, talking about the state of Alabama. Just on the other part of the state, Auburn really had some bad luck with Brian Harson. 
Um, now, granted, Brian Harson coming from Boise State is quite different than coming from a Washington team that was just the runner-up in the national championship game, who you could argue suffered because their Heisman-winning quarterback had an off night at the worst possible time. But we'll set that aside for a later show. But I'm just going that I think there is certainly more going for Kalen DeBoer, but the lack of connection could be a weird one, especially given how SEC fans really do want someone with that SEC experience. Where you go... Obviously, Lane Kiffin. The funny thing about Lane Kiffin is, in, if you, I remember, I had to go back and reread the quote in like July of 2022. He even was said like, who in the right mind wants to follow Nick Saban at Alabama? Like following that job, you want to be in his shadow? Of course, people will say that. And the type of head coach that has the potential to succeed is the type of coach who will still say, might say that, but it will actually take the job. Um, Dan Lanning, obviously great SEC ties. He's got a big buyout of $20 million, but... I think Alabama could do it if they wanted to. That's still not that's well, that's not an intimidating but, amount of money. Well, it's not the money though. I, I think that Dan Lanning is committed to Oregon. I, I think that you know he put out a statement today saying that he's committed to Oregon, that he's not leaving. And so, like, did they say? Pi- did he use the words Pine Box? Because that's always <laughs> that, that, that always pays off. No, you know, like I, I'm not okay, but you know, people will say that. Up I don't until- think he's a candidate. I don't. I, I, I think right. it's over. All right. Well, and, I, and to be fair, to be fair, I do think. Oregon, thanks to Phil Knight, thanks to all the work they put in, and they're going into the Big Ten next season. He has a good thing there. That team can get into the playoff the way they're built, especially a 12-team playoff. So I I could see why Dan Lenning would go would stay put. And to be frank, um, you know he's still a very young coach, which also, by the way, we've talked about. You pointed out earlier he could go to to Alabama, not necessarily do great, and then rebuild his career elsewhere and go right back up to being a potentially, you know, Hall of Fame coach. I mean, it's all there. It, the the route is there for him. Mike Norvell is fun to think about because imagine, like, you just got shut out of the college football playoff by Alabama. Why not just go to Alabama? And then you'll never get shut out. You can even lose a couple of games probably in the 12th team playoff and have no problem getting back in. I think you're absolutely right on Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think he wants to leave there. He it, it's, a, it's a peer. It would be a lateral move at the least bit. And Goodness gracious, after getting Texas to be in in the Texas's back zone, finally, they can outbid Alabama. They were are very capable of outbidding Alabama and potentially giving him more to work with than Alabama could, just in terms of facilities, just in terms of what they're willing to provide. One of the funnier things I just got to mention, um, you can always tell there's some super agents out there because sometimes you'll get tweets by... National level reporters, and I love you, Pete Dammel, but I, I love this list. When he he gave his list of candidates, and he kind of quietly tucked in Marcus Freeman and James Franklin, and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, sorry, no one. Can you imagine James Franklin would be like a revolt in Tuscaloosa, like we'd have reports of civil unrest. I can't even, I can't even imagine that one because he hasn't proved that he can beat the big teams in his own conference right now. And Marcus Freeman, I, I'm sure he could be a great coach, but he's just simply. Too new at it, and and hasn't quite done enough to to demonstrate it, it at um <clears throat> at uh, Notre Dame. You know, before Brian uh, Kelly moved, he would have been an interesting potential candidate because, like, you know, LSU poaching was certainly because he thought, like, okay, I'm going to go to a team that maybe can bring me up to that next level into the championship. And goodness gracious, if he had a defense this season, he very well may have been able to this season. Um, but I don't think he's going to leave LSU. Um, but that name has also popped up there. And I just wanted to acknowledge it. And then you get the wild ones like Ryan's in Houston. Like he's going to leave the Texans now that he's doing well. But we always get that no matter what head coaching job, the really big ones that come up, we start hearing NFL names. Um, just like someone someone actually suggested Bill Pelichick should just come and be that temporary coach to take the to just one season like mercenary in and out. You know, one concern I'm going to have for whoever gets hired, whoever gets hired, is what I've called, and and I'm sure people think of this, the Larry Coker effect. Because I remember Larry Coker takes over Miami and wins a national championship that first year. And people are like, wow, he's a great coach. Turns out he just inherited a bunch of incredible players where if you were even a mildly competent coach, you could win. And then after that, each year, Miami got worse and worse and worse until they had to let him go. So I'm sure next season... Keeping the majority, as you said, the majority of this team together, whatever head coach it's going to be is going to have the potential to make a playoff run and potentially win it all. It's just going to be interesting to see whoever's hired in year two and year three and beyond how they look and and who they're going to find who can take over something that is just 
a tremendous, tremendous thing. One last thing I want to mention, the thing, the buzz I got that I didn't expect is a lot of Alabama fans, in addition to Dan Lanning, are actually, they like Lane Kiffin, even though it seems so weird, even though they would have to accept that the culture is going to change. The culture, the culture in Alabama is going to seem a lot different. I think, because I think Lane Kiffin already tried to, to, to fill a role that he thought people expected of him when he went to USC. Like he got, he was so, I remember, everyone remembers when he got to FAU, people were like, where would this character come from? The person we saw at Tennessee for a hot minute at USC and, you know, uh, coaching on the sidelines of Alabama was not the person we got at FAU. FAU were like, is this what he's always been like all this time? Um, and to see him then go to Ole Miss and translate that out. I think if he goes to Alabama, he's not going to kowtow to the expectations of acting like Nick Saban. Um, would that be interesting for reporters? Yes. Um, would it be more realistic than Deion Sanders going? Yes. I mean, if we're talking about sheer entertainment. I just I just want to shoot that out there. Deion Sanders, no way. But unless there's some Aflac connection that we're totally unaware of between the two of them. But uh but I think Lane Kiffin has the potential to get it and be a radical departure and potentially entertaining change of pace. But I honestly don't know who to I don't know who to to put my money on here. So so let me ask this. When you look at college football, where does Alabama rank among the top jobs for you? Obviously, there's context. Some guys have tied certain areas. It doesn't mean that you're going to get, you know, steal anybody behind you. But like, if you are just putting every program in order, where does Alabama rank among the best in the country? That's a good question because I, I'm a person who likes to put tiers rather than like one, two, three, four, because it's hard to do that. It's That's where the subjectivity comes in. And that's what I'm asking for. Come on. Yeah, I think it is still on the very top tier. There's just, it's too much of a blue blood program. It was a blue blood program before Saban got there. It was just a uh, somewhat ossified, you know, f- uh, you know, uh, somewhat stiff program, but it can be, the, the, the keys can be turned and it can continue to compete. Um, I always thought the one trick Alabama has to deal with is the money at Texas and Ohio State is just way more than what they have going there. I mean, it's still, I think, a little more limited overall. Their fan base doesn't have... The, the the ability to get into a firefight with like Texas A&M and that kind of money, you know, Texas A&M money, the, the, the gold standard of, of insanity, if you want to put it that way. Um, but I think it's still the top tier program. Uh, it is going to be interesting, though, if we hear that they go after Lanning and Lanning did say no. Um, that would be an interesting question. That will create some consternation among Alabama fans and certainly if this coaching search drags on for too long, that would also create some concerns of, and to be fair, we've seen that before. I mean, USC was, was that role before Pete Carroll got there. People were like, they have crazy expectations at USC who in their right mind would want to coach there. And then they, they whiffed on their first three candidates because no one wanted to take that job. I mean, Alabama had become that people forget that Alabama had become that role until Nick Saban decided, like saw what he liked there and thought I can actually turn it around. But where do you rank it? So when I look at Alabama, actually, let me even take a step back further than this. When I look at coaching jobs, there's a couple things that I'm looking for. One, recruiting terrain. I mean, that's just a central part of it. Two, I think you're looking at administrative competence and organization. You want to know that when you take a job, you're going to have people above you who will deliver you whatever you need to be delivered. Three, I mean, you have to talk about resources, whether that's money, whether that's support, whether that's donors. And four, I I think that you have to look at the ability to kind of have your imprint put on a program and whether you have the ability to leverage that into success. So for me, when I look at all those things, the number one job in college football to me is Ohio State's because you are talking about one of the most consistently great athletic departments and programs in college football. Every coach who comes through there wins. And it's not just because of the quality of the coach. It's also because of the quality of the athletic department that built in recruiting. Uh, Obviously they have a slight disadvantage with access to talent. Ohio is a very talented area, but they do go more national, but they also have the infrastructure in place to go national because of what they built there over the course of the last, not just five years, but 10 to 20 years. And so, again, when I look at a coach going 56 and 8 there, that's why I'm not that impressed by it. Anyway, 
I would have Alabama number two. And the reason that I would is because when you talk about commitment to football, it is in the elite tier. Alabama is committed to football. Their administration, their president, their university, their donors, their state, their state government, their state residents, everybody is in lockstep focusing on football. And so they will deliver you whatever you want. Like you said, they don't have the same amount of sheer money as Ohio State and as Texas especially, but you trade that for, again, a a more unified focus, I think, than what those other programs are able to give you. I, I make the comparison to Texas, actually, because Texas is a team that I'd have closer to the five to seven range because historically we haven't seen that consistent level of... Uh, of administrative competence. We've seen stretches. We've seen flashes. I think right now they're in a great moment of it, which I think is part of why they've been able to reach college football playoff level. But this hasn't been reality for most of the last 50 years at the University of Texas. The Mac Brown era in a lot of ways was an exception, not the rule. And now Alabama, again, has the same issue, but I think it's less of an issue. I think that they have better, more focused administration historically And I think the other part of it, too, is that you have to overlook some of that stuff because the ceiling at Alabama is so high. The ceiling at Alabama is the highest in the sport. It's the highest in the history of the sport. They've got two coaches who have won, what, 13 combined championships or something like that, right? uh, Somewhere in that range. It is unbelievable what you have the ability to do there. And so I compare it to a program like Oklahoma, which I think is one of the most competent programs in college football. But again, like I don't think they have the same ceiling that Alabama does. Uh, I compare it to a Texas where I think that the day-to-day, it's just a little more chaotic than even at Alabama. Uh, and again, where I don't think you have the ability to have as much consistent success. I, I think it checks almost every box. And so... I have them number two in my list of the best jobs in college football. You know, I have a question for you, Shahan. Do you think right now at this moment, and and I, I think almost regardless of who Alabama picks until they, they establish themselves after a few seasons that we can say it's continuing where it was, is Georgia now the undisputed king of the SEC? Yeah, so in this moment, I think that they are. Uh Nick Saban was the king of the SEC, even when Georgia won two national championships. But Nick Saban's gone now. Uh, We'll see who they hire. We'll see what they're able to do. But yes, I think that Georgia is the king of the SEC. I don't think that it's guaranteed that whoever takes over, even if it was Dan Lanning, even if it was Dabo Swinney, will be able to keep up the same level of recruiting excellence that Alabama has been able to do, not just for, again, the past couple of years, but for the last 15 years. I mean, Nick Saban redefined recruiting. And when you look at the SEC, not just at Georgia, not just at LSU or Ole Miss or whoever, every program in the SEC is trying to figure out how to replicate that. When you see the focus on talent acquisition, that is Nick Saban. And the difference when you compare Alabama and Nick Saban to other places is that Alabama took the best players every year, recruited in a unique way, but then developed them at a level that nobody had ever really done before. And we see these issues, by the way, at a program like Texas A&M who was able to match some of the talent acquisition, was not able to match the talent development. Uh, So with Alabama out of there, I think that Georgia is now that program. They're the program that recruits that top two level, that develops, that doesn't just throw five-star kids out onto the field, but also transforms three stars into five stars. And so I think that they are the it program right now in college football. Now, This stuff is tenuous. And one of the factors I'll be most curious about when I look at Alabama heading into the future and Georgia looking into the future is we are kind of waiting to declare someone the next Nick Saban. And Kirby Smart has, of course, made a pretty good case for that. I mean, Nick Saban never won consecutive national championships, by the way. Kirby Smart did that. But I think it is also a huge assumption that somebody else will just come in and dominate college football to that extent. 
Yeah, no, I gotta say, he did win 2011 and 2012. You're right. You're uh, right. He, he did once. He did we, once. I, I want. I want our Alabama friends to know we do remember that BC. That was a BCS year. Yes, I think that's BCS what threw us off. That, that's the only reason why I wanted to bring it up. But um, yeah, no. But certainly, uh, he Kirby Smart's on a roll right now, but he hasn't quite hit. The level. I mean, granted, he came really close this season to doing the three in a row, which would have been a whole other ball game. But um, yeah, absolutely. My goodness, it's just amazing to think about all of that. But I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your, yeah. your thing there. But I just like ah, I should probably say no, that one. for sure. <laughs> but I, I think that there is no guarantee right now that we will have another Nick Saban, that we'll have another dominant coach. I mean, even th- think about Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. He won two titles in three years. Uh, then he went to Ohio State and won another. He didn't have this kind of run. He won half as many titles as Nick Saban did. He won three to Nick Saban's seven. Bear Bryant, you know, in a completely different era, right? Won less titles than Nick Saban. And I think that one factor that we talked about is that the super team is starting to die just a little bit because of NIL, because of the transfer portal. You see at the University of Georgia, they have 15 kids or so who are young players who won't necessarily impact the 2024 team, but maybe they'll impact the 2026 team. You know, I I think that that's a factor that Nick Saban didn't have to deal with early. I think that's a factor that Nick Saban didn't want to deal with now. And so I do think that that's going to make consistent, sustained dominance just a little bit more difficult than maybe it's been in the past. Uh, And also, by the way, again, Nick Saban is the greatest coach in the history of college football. So even without all those factors, I I still think it would be pretty dang hard to match. You know, a fascinating part of this that also, you know, is worth mentioning is we're, he's now set up potentially a a sort of aftershocks of this declaration because we're going to assume that the majority of candidates are all going to be current sitting college football head coaches. Um, There's two things that are going to happen. If they hire another head coach, suddenly that program is going to be in the coaching hunt. Maybe an internal promotion, which will just stop it right there. But there's a possibility that the caliber of head coach that they would take is going to be a program that might also suddenly have to do a national search. And on the recruiting side, suddenly there's a 30-day transfer portal opening that's just happened to, to Alabama at the moment that he declared that he's leaving. That, that's a rule that allows players to, to make that change, especially if they see the new head coach and realize they don't fit in in that program. Um, there's going to be then another pro, potentially another program that's also suddenly going to get a 30-day transfer window. The only the, the silver lining on this is a lot of programs have already locked in their class. They may not have the spots to just suddenly say, ooh, I can get, you know, all of these wonderful people. I can throw some NIL money and get some Alabama talent. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see the the aftershocks of that. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to say, although it hasn't, we haven't reached any kind of, at the time of this show, no, nothing official, even close to official on it. There's going to be another close to blue blood that's going to probably become open. We are everyone's expecting Harbaugh to probably move on now that he's mission accomplished his way through um, his alma mater. So that'll be another interesting question too. Some of these candidates may have also been like, Hey, you know, talking to their agent, you know, start getting, start talking to, to Ward Manuel a little bit. Let, let, you know, let them know that I'd be interested um, if they don't internally promote it very well could go with just, you know, internal promotion at Michigan. In fact, I think they are more likely to do that. Um, but there's just so much interesting stuff out there right now with these two programs potentially uh, shaking it up a little bit and then causing some echoes that will resonate throughout college football. Right when we thought we were ending the dead period, the period where everyone gets to rest for a couple of months as you know, spring games and nonsense starts, Coach Saban has decided to just, boom, hey, everybody, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's close with this. I put put together a piece today at CBSSports.com. It's a good website. You should check it out. I put together the All Saban team. So let's just run through that real quick. Uh, Obviously, context, right? I was born in 1994. I wasn't watching as closely at 13 as I was at 24, right? So like, but it was a lot of reading. It was a lot of rewatching films, stuff like that. So, so I'm curious to get your thoughts as somebody who obviously, you know, has been watching. Who's old? Since Thank the, you. <laughs> who's old? Yeah, I've been watching since the Stone Age or whatever. Uh, so, I, I do want to say one thing. I did consider all of Saban's stops: Michigan State, Toledo, and LSU. 
he coached at Alabama for 17 years. Like it, I, it, I considered a couple guys from LSU. I considered Marcus Spears at defensive end, uh, but also like I believe his best year was like kind of after. It, anyway, it, it, I didn't end up putting him. Chad Lavalis on the offensive line uh, and Andrew Whitworth was one that I considered, but Whitworth was kind of a better NFL player than he was a college player. He was a very good college player, but like getting getting a tackle spot on this team is freaking ridiculous. So uh, I'm sorry. Nobody. Yeah, from it's going to be previous- somewhat subjective no matter how you go about it. <laughs> I, I agree. So, uh, well, let's run through it quickly, but quarterback yeah. Bryce Young. Easy, right? Yeah, the Heisman wins it for him. I mean, you could go like Tua, yes. but you know, I mean, really, it's, it's if you won the Heisman and you had yeah. the run he did, he, he absolutely locked that down. I agree. Yeah, uh, funny you mentioned the Heisman. So two running backs on this team, uh, very fitting for early Saban. Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, two Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, again, like to leave Eddie Lacy, Trent Richardson, to leave both Scar- like, like there's so many good running backs that came through. Uh, Najee Harris is another great one, but like it's Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram, right? Absolutely. And people don't realize Alabama wasn't exactly like a Heisman factory uh, before that. So Saban really brought that, uh, that award as something frequent to the, uh, to the tide, which simply hadn't been done before. So I think that, and that goes right into your wide receiver selections too. I mean, you have to start with Uh, Devontae Smith. You have to start with him. But how about that second one? Yeah, so this was the one I knew I was going to get a lot of heat for this one. So again, since I picked two wide receivers, I was limited to two. Sorry, since I picked two running backs, I was limited to two wide receivers. Devontae Smith, greatest wide receiver in Alabama history. I don't think it's that close. He won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, He had an incredible career. He's number one all time in Alabama receiving yards. So the conversation came down to three guys. Julio Jones, who's the first great wide receiver at Alabama, Jerry Judy, who is like one of my favorite players to watch of all time. And then the guy who I went with, which was Amari Cooper. How do you how do you pick between those three guys? Do you think I've made the right choice? I, I get your argument for Amari Cooper over Julio Jones. Julio Jones was just I mean, he was one of those players where we realized Alabama's receivers could be that exceptional because that wasn't something that Alabama was always known for. So I'm not sure if I am. If I'm putting it just sort of kind of using him as sort of an example of, uh, you know, a benchmark versus someone who might actually be better. So I thought Amari Cooper wasn't a bad selection, but I can see why there are going to be fans that are kind of like, really, really, you went with him. But I think it's a, it's a I love it. You, it, It's a it's a wonderful problem to have where that your program yes. had this <laughs> this level of talent. Well, and I think the other part, too, especially when I'm looking at receiver, it, uh I think that you can make the argument that Julio Jones was a more talented player. And we saw that in the NFL. We, we, I, I mean, Julio Jones is like in the pantheon of receivers in the NFL, but they were not used the same way at Alabama, right? Like Amari mm-hmm. Cooper was a, like Amari Cooper had like over a hundred receptions in, in 2014 as they switched to a pass base offense with, you know, Blake Sims at quarterback. Like he was the reason that they were elite and I mean, Julio Jones was one of many reasons that Alabama was elite with his team. So I just had to put it, uh, I, I just had to go Cooper. I mean, he's number two all time in Alabama receiving yards behind Devontae Smith. So, uh, but so many good freaking wide receivers for a team that did uh, played a lot of joyless murder ball. Tight end was hard. I went OJ Howard. He kind of had that superstar moment in the championship games, but you know, they didn't have an, an obvious elite tight end, I'd say, but OJ Howard's, I, I think, the pick. At offensive line, Andre Smith and Cam Robinson, uh, it, getting on this team at tackle is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, with the guy, like Evan Neal is in that group. Uh, I mean, like I mentioned, Andrew Whitworth uh, from LSU in that group. But Cam Robinson and Andre Smith were mainstays, uh, so I went with them. Barrett Jones, I, I think we can have this conversation maybe when I run through this. I think he has a case as the best Alabama player of the Nick Saban era. Now, he, he didn't have the NFL success, but we can we can have that conversation. Chance Warmack, uh, another great guard for them. And I went Ryan Kelly over Landon Dickerson. Uh, two guys who won the Remington Award as the best center in college football, which all the way also, by the way, Barrett Jones won, even though he didn't play center his whole career. Uh, I just went Ryan Kelly because of a little bit more 
experience than Landon Dickerson had. Dickerson was a transfer from Florida State. Ryan Kelly was a homegrown kid. What do you think? I think that's a good list. I mean, there's so many others you're going with, like Anthony Steen, um, uh, you know, uh, Jonah Williams. Jedrick Wills. Like, <laughs> they have so many guys. They've never lacked for talent on the offensive line, which is part of what has made them such a success. So, yeah, you can almost, it's almost like a, you could have a great rotation uh, on your offensive line um, if you're Alabama. Uh, <laughs> just not Seth McLaughlin, sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he's not on that list. But, um, yeah, certainly that that is, I think that's great. But let's flip it on the other side of the ball. How about on defense? Yeah, defense was, I think that the offense was hard and the defense was brutal. Like, it, it was so hard to narrow it down. Defensive line, I picked three guys who kind of were all maybe a little more inside guys. Jonathan Allen, I think, is the best Saban defensive lineman. I, I think that he is my pick for the best Saban defensive lineman as a college player. He, he's been pretty good in the NFL, too. But but as a college player, I think Jonathan Allen is that dude. Quinnen Williams was another pick. And Deron Payne was my third. I, I want three forks because I think that that just feels pretty fitting for a Saban defense. My my hardest cut was probably Ashawn Robinson. Uh, I really wanted to get him on this team, and I just couldn't quite do it. So what do you think? Jonathan Allen, Quinton Williams, Deron Payne. I think those are really great. I mean, what that, such a just such a ferocious nose tackle with, with Quinton Williams, and then you've got, I mean, maybe Marcel Darius. He might have been a mm. potential inclusion there. Um, he was the MVP of of the BCS title game back in 2010. Um, so, but yeah, no. Again, the lines are something where in Alabama, as you pointed out, there's talent every single year. I mean, we could look at even this current roster and say, hey, went from there, you might want to throw onto this. But no, I think we'll yeah. go for these timeless ones. I mean, it's 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 tough. So uh, keeping up with this front seven, how about at linebacker? Yeah, linebacker Will Anderson is the greatest linebacker of the uh, and probably I, I think that Will Anderson, I'd say, is the best defensive player. Ooh, I, I, See, this is hard. This is, Nick Saban makes things hard. He has too many good players. Will Anderson is the best front seven player. Let's say that of the Nick Saban era. Uh, Two-time uh, defense player of the year, by the way. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Unanimous All-American twice. It, it's ridiculous what he did at uh, Alabama. CJ Mosley at linebacker. Ruben Foster. And I want Rolando McClain for my fourth one. Those are good. Those are good. How about uh, Hightower? Yeah, yeah. I've heard. Uh, I, I've heard a little bit of where's Dante Hightower. He was my final cut. He, him and Rolando McLean was my final conversation. Uh, McLean. Mm. I, I mean, in his last two years, two hundred tackles, twenty six point five tackles for loss, Defensive Player of the Year, Butkus Award, and like I think that Hightower is a more versatile player, but like. The run that Rolanda McLean had his final two years at Alabama is freaking ridiculous. Like linebackers don't post 200 tackles at Alabama because there are too many good other players making tackles. But Rolanda McLean is like, is that dude? Like he's that dude. So it was a hard list. I mean, th this was such a signature position for those. Seasons. Well, and to be fair, it's so funny because Hightower also had Courtney Upshaw as a linebacker yep, on that yep, team. Yep. So you have two. I mean, they were both great. And maybe yep. to the extent it's like when you have two, when you have two <laughs> actors from the same movie nominated for the same category, it's kind of like, oh, okay, we're going to go with the third one. It's like, well, we had two people from the same movie. What more do you want here? You know? So um, again, like, this is like the, uh, the college football equivalent of it. I'm loving it. And then, you know, at DBs, you also just lack of the, there's no want for talent there. Take us through your selections. It's so stupid. Um, the most no-brainer pick, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, yes. I think that... <laughs> I started saying that Will Anderson was the best defender of the Saban era, and then I remember that Minka Fitzpatrick existed. And so it's between those two guys. Those two guys, I think, are the two best defenders of the Saban era. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, to play both safety and corner and also, like, some nickel in this defense is so stupid. Like, that's so ridiculous to be able to do that over the course of multiple years. Uh, I loved that combo of him and Marlon Humphrey in, in that defensive backfield. That was just one of the great combos that I can ever remember in a defensive backfield. So uh, Marlon didn't quite make the team. But uh, by the way, it, real quick, did you see Marlon Humphrey tweets after the news broke? He was like, uh, he was like, 
man, if if I saw that Nick Saban was leaving, I'd be in the portal so fast. <laughs> and all the Alabama fans were like, Marlon, no, tell him to stay. <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, dude, shut up. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. This this is something uh seeing Notre Dame, Oklahoma, LSU, you know, all these places that have made high profile coaching changes. Like, yeah, man, I hate to break this to you, but like a lot of players do go there because of the people that are there more than the institution itself. Like, sorry. And so, well, no, you know, if you go, if you can succeed in Nick Saban's system, you have an NFL career in front of you. Exactly. And, And if you don't succeed, you still might get developed to the point that you might be able to transfer somewhere else and become a star and still have an NFL career just because of the way that they develop players. So um, anyway, Patrick Sertan was my other corner on this team. Uh, Landon Collins at safety, just just a freak, man. He is one of those dudes that I would not want running at me at full speed. Uh, And then I went back to the beginning. Um, One of Nick Saban's first great defenders, Mark Barron, as my final safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the only ones I would also mention, maybe at, uh, at defensive back, Dre Kirkpatrick, yep. and then he was Ha-ha a Clinton guy. Dix as a safety. Yep. Ha-ha Clinton Dix, both those guys are just considered. a fun name, but a great player. Yeah, yes. I mean, so uh, it, no, those are tough. I love it though when we get the specialists. It's Will Reichert as a kicker. I mean, I, that that's been kind of the uh, the early saving. You wouldn't be naming yes. any of those kickers. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. These three spots I picked: a kicker, punter, and all-purpose player. These three spots to me are definitive. Like he has all time great players in all three of these spots, but only one, mm-hmm. <laughs> one all time player in each of these spots. Will Reichert at kicker, like you mentioned. I mean, if you don't believe me, go watch the Rose Bowl. Go watch like the way that he, he kicked two 45 plus yard kicks to keep them in that game. Uh, just yep. an unbelievable season, unbelievable player. Uh, J.K. Scott at punter the greatest punter in Alabama history, just a gosh, I hope I'm not forgetting somebody there. It's going to make people yell at me, but the greatest of the Saban era, at least uh, a mainstay started all four years as a junior kicked more than 47, sorry, punted 47 yards per punt, like crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, the totals are, are insane. And then I'll move back. The one player on this list who I believe the only one on this list who Nick Saban inherited, was Javier Arenas, the the great kick and punt returner. He was awesome at both. He had nearly 4,000 combined kick and punt return wow. yards, which is just like, it's just so crazy. And he had seven punt return scores. And also, by the way, was like a pretty good defensive back as well. It's unreal. I mean, you can put together an NFL roster so easily with, and 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 all the backups, just with the people that have gone through uh, Nick Saban's time at Alabama alone. This team, if you eliminated everybody from this team, all 25 guys that I named, you could make a better team with the guys left over than almost any other coach has ever had. <laughs> like it, Julio Jones, uh, Tua, uh, the running backs, right? Eddie Lacy, uh, Trent Richardson, uh, like the guys who weren't included on this list. Like I should have made a second team. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get around to that later. of just putting together a second team. I, I don't know if I want to be uh, sorting through too many backup offensive guards, but like it's, it's <laughs> crazy. I do want to come back to my original question though. Who to you is the number one player of the Nick Saban era? And you can use any definition that you want to define that. Gosh, it's such a hard question. I mean, <sighs> I, 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 it's so funny because you didn't include him. I, I was thinking Julio Jones is wide receiver, mostly based on how he did in college and what a study he's been in the NFL. Um, and I think Derrick Henry as well, simply because of the domination he had on the field to, to, to help them get to that. I mean, it was an all an SEC record uh, career. Um, those two would be the ones I'm thinking of most. And at least one of them won the Heisman Trophy. How about you? For me, I I come back to it. Barrett Jones on the offensive line to me is the defining player of the Nick Saban era. And I say that because of this. He started all four years at Alabama. He played every position on the offensive line. That is unheard of. That that, that is completely unheard of. He started as a guard, was named Freshman All-America, got moved to center, won the Remington Trophy as the best center in college football, then got slid back out to tackle 
and was the unanimous All-American. Like, what the absolute hell? He won three BCS national yeah. championships during his time there. He did anything that the team needed. He did everything that the team needed. L- like I kind of said, one of the first great Alabama players under Nick Saban. And I just look at the versatility. I look at who he was on the field. I look at who he was off the field, by the way. He won the Outland Trophy, the Parker Trophy, the World. Like he won every award that an offensive lineman can possibly win, even at positions that he didn't really play. And that that is just, I think that when you look at his career, and I mean, like I, I don't want people like coming at me with like Orlando Pace and like you know, you know, like but when you talk about just a college career, like I think that Bear Jones might have had the best collegiate career ever by an offensive lineman. I think you're right. I mean, it's so funny. The more you say about it, the more it made me think, gosh, I'm treating this like the Heisman Trophy. I'm ignoring the guys that are. (laughs) You're um, just like the quarterbacks are running points. (laughs) Yeah, the quarterback wide receiver running back. But yeah, I mean, the guy, (laughs) three national championships while he was at Alabama, no less. I mean, he was there for that incredible BCS run where they won three or four years. So uh, yeah, he is. There's a strong argument to be made for him, and I think you're you're right. That versatility is unmatched. So maybe he needs like they should do that. Maybe the Heisman Trophy should have a 25 year award where they look back and say like, yo, here's a player where you know what? Now that we're looking back, maybe it was them. Maybe they were the ones where we're kind of like, Ugh. you know, they they were the they were the great one that that maybe were missed. So um, no, it's a, it's an absolutely interesting one, and it's an incredible career. I still can't believe he's retired. I still think a lot of folks are digesting the fact that Nick Saban is not going to be on the sideline next season. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.